The epistle for this seventh Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's sixth chapter to the Romans. Brethren, I speak a human thing because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members to serve uncleanness and iniquity unto iniquity, so now yield your members to serve justice unto sanctification. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from justice. What fruit, therefore, had you then in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of them is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto sanctification and the end, life everlasting. For the wages of sin is death, but the grace of God, life everlasting, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the seventh chapter of the gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of false prophets who come to you in the clothing of sheep, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. By their fruits you shall know them. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, and the evil tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can an evil tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings forth not good fruit shall be cut down and shall be cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear seminarians, dear faithful, this time after Pentecost is not one of great liturgical intensity. Um, we pass through the season of Christmas, where we're very much focused on the mystery of the Incarnation. We pass through the season of Easter, where we focused on the mystery of our Lord's resurrection. And then now we've entered this period of so many weeks, between 24 and 28 weeks, well, there's not really a lot going on liturgically. And that, that makes it a good opportunity for the priest to speak about topics that, that he thinks will be relevant, but yet may not be connected to the epistle and the gospel of the day. And since I've had a few weeks of, of recollection um, back home, there were some topics that came to my mind that I would like to speak to you about. And I think I want to do something I've, I've very rarely done in the course of my priesthood. And I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to talk about um, in the next few weeks. So today, I'm going to talk to you about something called acedia, or spiritual fatigue. Then next week, I'll be in, in Madison, Wisconsin, um, doing a mission run. But the week after that, July 25th, two weeks from now, I'm going to speak about addiction. And then the following Sunday, August the 1st, I will speak to you about curiosity. So today, let's talk about what I'm calling spiritual fatigue, but what may also be referred to as spiritual boredom or spiritual sloth. And as I say, the, the medieval theologians had a special name for this vice, this temptation, they called it acedia, A-C-E-D-I-A, acedia. And they linked it to the capital sin of sloth. They basically identified it with the capital sin of sloth. And this affliction of soul 
tends to attack those who are striving to do the best they can in living their Catholic life. They're, perhaps they're a religious, perhaps they're a priest, perhaps they're in the married state um, as a husband or a wife. They're trying to do the best they can according to the will of God as revealed to us. They're doing the Catholic thing. They're faithful to their duties. They have a prayer life. But then at a certain point, everything becomes tiresome and very burdensome. The early fathers of the church even spoke about this phenomenon. This is, this is not something new. It's not something that just happens in the 21st century. It's always happened to souls. So one of the early fathers of the church, a desert father, John Cassian, he describes this affliction of soul. And he's talking about a monk that's out in the desert, just to give an example of what this acedia, what's involved in acedia. This monk is out in the desert. You know, he's weaving baskets. That's what they did um, in order to keep their body busy while they were contemplating heavenly things. So he's there weaving a basket in the, the middle of the day, and along comes the noonday devil. This temptation of Asidia is referred to sometimes as the noonday devil, talked about in the Psalms. And the devil is besieging him with all manner of negative thoughts about his state in life. Um, he's saying to him, look, you know, you're really wasting your time with what you're doing in this monastic life. It would be um, much better, for instance, for you to be part of another community. Look at the monks around you. You know, they're, they're so low uh, on the scale of holiness. Um, they're so boring to interact with. Wouldn't it be much better if you were part of that other community you've heard about that's so much holier? Um, or what, what would I do um, perhaps to, to advance by leaps and bounds? There's so many things that I could do different from what I'm doing in my duty of state to advance in holiness than what my rule says that I should do. So this monk by dint of these temptations, by dint of these thoughts that are happening to him, he becomes extremely restless. And he's saying to himself, wow, every single moment of me being here, trying to focus on the things of God, when I really have lost belief that what I'm doing is worthwhile at all, um, makes me want to do anything else possible. Every single moment seems like an hour. He looks this way, he looks that way. He's listening. Perhaps there's a step of someone coming to visit me. Anything to deliver me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing at this current moment. So this is what John Cassian describes as the temptation of Asidia afflicting a monk in the desert. His duty of state in his normal Catholic life suddenly become intolerable. This temptation can afflict any one of us. It can afflict a priest, it can afflict a monk, it can afflict a seminarian, it can afflict a husband, it can afflict a wife at any time. And I just, I could give examples for any of those states of life, but I just want to take the example of a traditional Catholic man who's grown up in the traditional Catholic faith. He finds a nice woman to marry, and they begin their family. He's doing the right thing by his family. He's having all the children that, that God wills to give him. Um, he's supporting them. He's trying to be a good father to his children. He's trying to be a support for his wife. And then over time, the daily grind sets in. 
and slowly but surely, everything becomes old and tiresome. He no longer takes joy from the attention of his wife. He's no longer rejuvenated by the time that he spends with his children. He goes to work day after day, and his work is no longer satisfying. It becomes very routine and boring. And these temptations start to creep into his soul. He starts to say to himself, what am I doing with my life? This traditional Catholic life that I'm leading, having all these kids, raising these, these children, um, sort of separating my, myself from the spirit of the world. Is this the way it's going to be for the rest of my life? Me making all these sacrifices that I have to make? Me leading this apparently humdrum existence? Surely me doing just about anything else would be more interesting than what I'm doing. There's these temptations that strike at the very core of his vocation, of his existence, of his Catholic identity. And in all of this, there's not a little bit of self-pity. He's kind of feeling sorry for himself. He's especially sort of making a comparison. He, he says, okay, let's look at the sacrifices I'm making in my life. On the one hand, and what I'm getting from that, what sort of satisfaction, pleasure, joy I'm getting from that, and let's look at what's going on in the world and the good time that they're having. And let's make that comparison and see what, what is the uh, sort of cost analysis versus uh, results that I'm getting. And he tends in this state of soul to think that he's getting a raw deal. It's not fair. It's not fair. The compensation that he receives is not enough. His fallen nature is calling out for some sort of reward that's different from the reward that God has chosen to give him in his state of life. For every husband, for every wife, there, there are certain joys that are given to you from raising a family, from leading the Catholic life. And in this state of the ascetiac, these joys and compensations are seen to be lacking, wanting. And the effect on the soul is a great sadness. The person who's welling up with his self-pity, saying, woe is me, life is so difficult, and he's just afflicted with his sadness, um, especially when he's called upon every day to sacrifice himself for his family. And effectively, this sadness comes from a certain resentment of the will of God. Why is he sad? because he knows what God is asking of him, and he's saying to himself, it's too much, it's too much. God should not really be asking me to do all of these things. So the results for someone who's afflicted by this temptation to acedia and kind of is giving into it, there's various things that happen, the various sort of uh, steps on the way to total disaster. One of the first steps is the giving in of the temptation by shirking one's duty of state. I'm just going to slacken off a bit. I know what I'm supposed to be doing for my wife, for my children. I'm just going to cut back a bit and start letting things slip. Then 
there's also starts to be this this compensation in, in a negative way in the sense that he will avoid difficulty, start to avoid the sacrifices he has to make, um, trying to find ways around sacrificing himself. He tries to avoid, he will start trying to avoid any penance or any difficulty. A third effect is that over time he becomes very irritable because his state in life has become, in a certain sense, insufferable for him, meaningless for him, annoying to him, the people around him start to get on his nerves very easily. So he's easily triggered and becomes very angry and irritable. And at the bottom, there starts to well up this great disgust at his normal everyday existence. He becomes disgusted with the life that he's living and loses faith in it. And this leads to the final effect, which ultimately causes the ruin of such a person, and that is a flight from reality. He starts to say, I need to somehow escape from this terrible situation that I'm in where I'm always afflicted with this sadness. I've sort of lost my bearings. Um, I need to get away from it. I need to seek relief from it through thrill-seeking, gambling, movies, drink, pornography, excessive consumption of news, whatever escape might be preferred just to get away from that state of soul, at least for a little while. So I think all of us have experienced this temptation in our lives to some degree. It afflicts all of us to one degree or another, to some degree of intensity or another. The lack of faith in our world, its insatiable craving for novelty, its victim mentality, its total aversion to sacrifice in the cross makes us today especially liable to this temptation, to acedia. It's like you go out on a work site and you're there doing your work, but everybody around you is just having a party. They're not supposed to be having a party, but they're having a party. And you're doing your work, and you're saying, this is my duty, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And over time, it becomes very hard to continue doing it because no one else is, is with you in that. And the society around us is just saying, hey, let's, let's live it up. There's no moral compass whatsoever and you're trying to do the traditional Catholic thing. So it makes it more difficult for you in today's world. What must we do when we are afflicted by this terrible temptation of acedia? There are three things, especially, there are many things that the, that the spiritual author suggests, but there's three things especially that I want to point out. The first and the most important remedy for acedia is perseverance. You just keep doing what you've been doing. Don't change anything. Just keep doing your daily duties. Just keep doing what you know you're supposed to do as a traditional Catholic husband and father or wife and mother. The devil wants to shake you out of your routine and in that state, above all, you must not change. You have to continue to pursue spiritual goods and goals in your life as your top priority. 
and not give in to temptation to compensate yourself, to sort of subtract from your duties of state. A very great courage is required for this, but you must continue. You must not start down that road of slackening off. Second, the second remedy is to strengthen your faith. The problem here is we're starting to lose faith in our Catholic identity. We must take time to bolster our faith. Here's what a, an author who writes a book, I think it's called the, the, the Noonday Devil is the name of the book, but here's what he writes about this loss of faith. He says, one of the deep roots of ascedia resides in the lack of the spirit of faith. If the ascediac finds his whole life morose, it is because he sees it from the short end of the stick and not from the angle of the faith. The greatness of our supernatural vocation, the immense gift which is given to us in Christ, the eternal happiness to which God invites us purely out of his mercy, the infinite value attached to our least actions when we perform the will of God out of love. All of these invigorating truths escape the darkened view of the ascetic. It is thus necessary for him to reopen his eyes to the light of the faith. And the reopening of the eyes to the faith, to these supernatural truths, especially happens through meditation. These spiritual offers, they, they recommend that the ascetic meditate on the four last things as a remedy, as a way to bring back that supernatural view of his life and of the most important things in his life. I continue the quotation. Meditation on death, as well as the pains of hell and purgatory, takes us back to the essentials and puts everything back in its true perspective. We take stock again of the gravity of sin, of the eternal consequences of our least works and actions, of the importance of the time which is given to us. Facing God in eternity, the entire scaffolding of sadness, complaint, and unsatisfied desires which were artificially constructed around our little self crumbles like a stack of cards. So first of all, perseverance. Secondly, strengthening your faith through meditation on the four last things. And then thirdly and finally, fraternal charity, the practice of fraternal charity. If one of the major problems of acedia is this wallowing in self-pity. Someone saying, woe is me, I've got so many things to do, I have to make so many sacrifices in my Catholic life, I should be getting a lot more for me in my life than I'm getting. One of the things to do is to do good for others, to sacrifice yourself for others. Are you tempted not to spend some, some time with someone who annoys you in your family? Spend more time with them. Are you tempted not to give yourself at your work, to sort of shirk, off, shirk your duty at your work and helping someone else? Move forward and, and do that for them by attacking um, that self-pity, by refusing to focus on ourselves and instead focusing on someone else. We defeat these temptations to acedia. But my dear faithful, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what temptations we experience, above all, we must be very careful to preserve our faith in the, the state of life as we are leading it. We must preserve 
our love for our Catholic faith at all costs. Once we lose our bearings in that regard, once our vocation, our, our very path that we've chosen in life starts to lose its meaning, we are in a very, very dangerous position indeed. We must never give in to the illusion that somehow escaping from the trials of our vocation and pursuing worldly pleasure is what is going to make us happy. That will never satisfy you, especially since you are a traditional Catholic and you have these high ideals. You've experienced that closeness with Christ. There's no way these worldly things are ever going to be capable of satisfying your soul. They're not going to give you happiness. As often as we are afflicted with this sadness from the noonday devil and the performance of our Catholic duty of state, perhaps we can try to remember Psalm 42, which we pray at the beginning of every single Mass. Perhaps we can repeat these words, which, as I say, appear at the beginning of Mass. Why are you sad, O my soul? Why do you trouble me? Hope in God, for I will still give praise to him, the salvation of my countenance and my God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.